Hey, hey, y'all. I'm Stephanie, and Black education has never responded to, supported, nor honored the full cultural being of what being Black in America is. The education of Black scholars has been consistent in perpetuating Eurocentric beliefs and ideas. No cap, Steph. Hey, y'all. I'm Amber, and as an educator of Black students, we seriously need a place to ensure that all educators of Black scholars are versed in the full being of their students. We're Root of the Matter. Root of the Matter is a community where educators of Black and Brown scholars reflect on history, challenge current constructs, and support each other in being the best they can be for their scholars. We are a community rooting teachers in what really matters. Now let's get to rooting, y'all. Black people, hey, put your fist up high. You're a king, you're a queen, you are great by design. Black people, hey, put your fist up high. You'll achieve anything if you use your mind. What up, y'all? How y'all doing out there? It's your two favorite women back with another episode. We be back. Ow, ow. <laughs> All right, y'all, so we're coming with y'all today with another episode. This is still season one, episode five, present day of being black in American school systems. We made it! Thanks for sticking with us! Shout out to all of our ancestors. We couldn't have got here without you. Listen, I would not be where I'm at today if it wasn't for them. Because, Lord knows, my hard-headed self couldn't do it back in the day. Um, but that's a whole nother story for another day. We're going to go ahead and start with our temperature check. Um, I have chosen Caroline by Anime, 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 sorry. But I like that song, you know, the Caroline, you're divine. I don't know the rest of the words, uh. but that's my song. Uh. Hey. <laughs> But it's just so hype. Like, I love the song. I love, it's not talking about nothing, but it's talking about something all at the same time. And it's just a, it's a bop. It reminds me of my early adulthood. Um, that came out like, yeah, it came out when I, when, when I first got into becoming an adult. I wasn't a teenager no more. And I just remember driving around in my car and it was a bop. So... I love that song, and that's my temperature check for today. It was a bop. Yo, I'm for it. I'm for it. I'm for it. I got a bop for you, too. But this bop, you know, I'm a little Holy Ghost ghetto. Um, It is by Kirk Franklin and Maverick City Music. It's a bless me. Y'all, this song got me lit. Um, I love it. I love the energy in it. I love the bass in it. Um, I love everything about it. For sure, for sure. If you haven't heard it, you got to go listen to it. I was trying to pull it up, but clearly I'm not like multitask successful <laughs> and tech successful. But y'all, it's like all these folks that was me, God got everything they need or something like that. It be turnt. I'll be listening to it when I'll be walking to Ollie. And I'm quite sure people would drive past and be like, that girl, what is wrong with her? Because <laughs> I'll be on the side of the road just dancing and stuff. It It's real, yeah. No. It's real comforting. No, I love it. Like, I was just saying, I was on the plane the other day, and I was half asleep, and the song came on, and I was like, it's a bop, it's a bop, <laughs> it's a bop. And then I went right back to sleep when it was done. So For sure. I love it. And it's not a selfish song either. Like, it talks about, you know... When you do good, let the people in your network and circle do mm-hmm. good, too. And, like, that's the energy. Like, we all rising up. When I get there, you getting there. Exactly. You know? Everybody getting a piece of the bread. Uh, we <laughs> passing it out. We Oprah in here. You get a bread. You get a bread. You get a bread. Everybody get a bread. All right. All right, y'all. We going to go on. We going to go on. Okay, so our question of the day. We I'm have listening. this uh, tweet. From Patrick, not Pat. And it says, baby, put them instructional coaches in the classroom. It's a teacher shortage. Hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that and I said, oh, crap. But um, I wanted to know, how do you feel about where they're getting these teachers from? Like, are the teachers that are coming in the building as of right now, 
How do you feel about that? Because it's like, I'm going to let you start. Go ahead. You know, I'm thinking about how at, um, I was at a school and a teacher quit in the middle of the year. And this is post-pandemic. And the teacher quit in the middle of the year. Hold up. We ain't post-pandemic yet. Well, we almost there, but we ain't there. Well, this is post-quarantine. There you go. There okay. you go. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Because we are, the pandemic, the panty is here. Hmm. Um, panini. But, so this is post-quarantine, back in the building. And so the teacher left because it was a lot going on. Um, and they were unable to fill that teacher's role. So the person who came in was a 19-year-old, <laughs> um, you know, trying to find some money. And this 19-year-old was the teacher for the remainder of the year. So that... Mm. That, I guess, in practice, that's where they're getting them to, from. Wait, question. Can you tell me what grade this was? Uh, 11th grade. So these 17-year-olds had a teacher who was two years older than Yes. Them. Okay, just making sure. Just yes. Know. Yes. All right. Like, the requirement for even a college education, like an AA, is not fair. And it's it's disheartening to me because if we have a doctor shortage... You're not about to go take, you know, Billy off the street. <laughs> somebody who didn't worked at freaking uh, CVS that only didn't scan items at the front. You're Big not going to take them. Big fat. So why are you treating our profession as such? Um, you know, I do think we need to find something new to do with getting new teachers because it is a shortage. But the disrespect that we're getting, receiving, is real. Um, just like even thinking about how you were talking about doctors, like they have shortages in doctors and they're not going to the streets to get a random person off the streets to fulfill that position. They're going higher up and mm -hmm. telling them you need to come back and do what you got to do. Mm -hmm. ABC, XYZ. But we're not doing that in the school system. Mm -hmm. That instructional coach can teach that class. Mm -hmm. That principal can teach that class. That AP can teach that class. Do what you need to do to make sure that your school is running effectively. Don't get the, this was an example. Um, and she did a pretty good job trying to manage them. But don't get this person who is studying to become a nurse and doing that at night. And she's coming in during the day. And working. And working as a full-time in-house substitute teacher. Mind you, she's 19 years old. So she like she was there for half of the semester, no, for half of the school year. And the kids loved her. She did a good she did a good, did a good job, but the issue was she related with them more than she related with us because she's younger, one. And two, she just didn't have those skills of being a teacher in order to run the classroom mm -hmm. effectively. So the kids walking out, she was cool with that. The kids just walking around the room, having their phones out, listening to music. She's cool with that because she's closer to their age and she doesn't understand what needs to be happening, happening in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem I see. Um, also just getting people in the classroom that do not have that mentality of, being a teacher, wanting to be a teacher, um, so therefore they're not going to do what needs to be done in order for it to be ran mm -hmm. effectively. But then the scores are reflecting upon us. Oh, oh, you know, you said a couple of things that triggered me to some things I saw on social media. Um, I read this article. It was about uh, admin having to teach a class, um, and I also listened to a podcast too recently, um, and it dealt on the same things. And I mean. There's a yin and a yang to it, I do believe. Um, I don't know if I lean one way or the other. Um, but it's out there. And then the second thing you said, oh, I just lost it. What'd you just say? I don't know because I have something to say. I Go ahead and say what you guys say. Okay, so we're talking about um, admin going back in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me reflect on our very first year teaching together. How a teammate of ours... Oh, I remember this! Oh, no. my gosh! Tell a story. Story time! Okay. 
So, a teammate of ours, he, like, had to go out on leave because he had a serious injury. Um, and he couldn't, like, he literally could not be there. He wanted to be there, and we forced him to leave. Like, mm-hmm. he was willing to take, um, he was willing to take care of the kids and their needs before his own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all of us, all of us came together and was like, look, stay at home. Get what you need to get done. And he was gone for, like, what? Like, two or three months? At least. Yeah. Um, and... We, as the math department, had to step in and teach his classes, but we all couldn't do it. So there was the principal who came in and taught, and the two de- APs came in and taught too. And the department chair was teaching too. And the department chair, yes. Like, yeah, they split his classes up every period. It was damn near a different teacher. That part. So let's just say, and he did not have, I forget what class he had, but he had the tough kid. He had a support class. There, That's what it was. He had all of the support class. We talking ninth grade and this is support math. And if you know what that means, that means you got kids who don't know the content, don't want to do the content and nine times out of ten have some sort of behavior that you have to understand to figure out how to communicate with them. That part. The behavior, and also the, they, um, some might have, uh, it's not cognitive, is it cognitive? Cognitive disabilities. Yes. yes. And you have to overcome that on top of the behavior as well. Mm-hmm. So, let's just say that one class that the principal and the two assistant principals, that's three people, had to teach. They only had to teach one class a day. It humbled them real quick. I will like, never forget when he came, the principal came to our department meeting, and he was somebody, he was like, y'all, I get it. He walked out my class, and what was I supposed to do? Follow him or stay with my 28 into the class? You exactly. Know? And it was, I really, I feel like that was my best year just because he understood. That part. And that I think part. A lot. I haven't had PD similar either since that because I think his engagement in an academic class, mm-hmm. while it was a support class, and side note, he didn't do any of the planning for it. The department chair did all of the planning um, or the Algebra 1 team did the planning for it. But he just had to go and teach and grade. They complained about the workload and grading. In one class, they complained about having to stand in front of the class and teach the material. They complained about the behaviors. They complained about everything that a teacher complains about. They complained about it, but it was just like, now you see, now you get what we go through. And it just, it was great. It was so good. And I just wish, I really wish people who are in leadership in schools, K through 12, just, Twice out of the semester, humble yourself. Go back into the classroom and see what we deal with on a daily basis. Not to observe, not to tell me what I'm doing right or wrong, but in the moment to respond and get through. Now, I'm, we don't have anybody in leadership that could teach a math class. I understand that. But we have discussions in math class where you could surely insert yourself. And you can surely lead a discussion and work on, you know, you talking about getting a 100% student voice? What you going to do when LaKeria decides she don't want to give her voice? Or Deshaun decides, I want to walk out right now. Hmm. Well, you know, let us know, y'all. Let us know your thoughts on how you think we should overcome this shortage. And... If admin should be required to participate. Because yeah, you have two teachers right now saying that the way that they're overcoming the shortage ain't it. Ain't. So, <laughs> let's figure it out. All right. So we're jumping into present day. And for present day, um, it ends right after desegregation, which is 1968, all the way up until now, 2022. And how we thought about this was... How is the education system being impacted today within the community and how the community is being perceived? And when we're talking about the community, we're talking about urban school systems, um, inner city schools, um, because that's where the majority of our black and brown babies are. Um, 
Also, oh, and also out there in them rural areas too, out in the back of the Alabama by the bayou of Louisiana. That part. Um, <laughs> I so, apologize to any of y'all from there. That part too. But you know, we, we y'all love us. Okay. So we also wanted to talk about like um, what's best in education for our babies as well. And the three domains, mm, it's not three domains. We have more than one. Uh, it's a lot to talk about y'all. But the domains that we came up with was critical race theory, gun violence, buzzwords. Ooh, we're going to go on that for a minute. Um, standardized testing and talking about like no child left behind. So let's go ahead and jump into it. Let's start with critical race theory. Critical race theory irritates me. Um, I think the conversations around critical race theory and why it's a hot topic um, is really because of people's insecurities, you know, and people's feeling like, oh, one, you need to talk about what is black. Um, and you need to talk about the notion of racism and how it's different. You need to talk about like how it impacts social construction and the idea of it. And you need to, you know, provide storytelling and counter that and all of that. It's all of these proponents. You can go and read about critical race theory. Um, the thing about critical race theory and why it's this topic is because people don't want to accept change. And they don't want to accept that this narrative that has been portrayed in American education systems for so long isn't factual and doesn't respond to the complete identity of America. Like there are so many proponents and things that the voice of color has to be valued and has to be appreciated, mm -hmm. you know? <clears throat> so I'm listening to everything you're saying and I'm gonna try and find a way to tie this in, but cause it's like mm, people, are trying so hard to forget about the past and you can't forget about what built this country. Mm -hmm. Like the backs of my ancestors, my ancestors' hands, feet, sweat, blood, tears went into building this country and you can't forget that. Is it wrong how it was done? Yes. Is it traumatic? Yes. But it is what it is and we need to learn about it and you're just so busy on making sure that these white babies don't hear about what their ancestors did. They need to know so they can learn how to do better. Mm. That's one. Um, and two, it's like, so I saw this tweet the other day and I wish I kept it. It was talking about how um, the government is basically like gaslighting with Juneteenth and giving us this day and all this other stuff, but you're not really giving us the day because a lot of people still had to work. And then also what you're trying to really do is cover up this idea of banning critical race theory mm -hmm. and all this other issues that are going on within the black community. So it's like you banned us talking about, you quote unquote banned because I'm still talking about it. Um, Ooh, don't get me y'all. Uh, <laughs> you banned talking about black history in schools, quote unquote. And then you tried to make it up by giving me a day. Mm, the math ain't mathing, make it make sense. It's not. It's really not. You know, you were talking, you made me think about one of our uh, questions of the day recently. Um, and it was talking about like, what is culturally relevant? Mm. So that question you know, about my Angelo and her um, traumas as a kid, that's not an issue with critical race theory. It's not. But us talking about how, how many slaves died in the transition from Africa to America is a problem. Is a problem. Or the mistreatment and how you had them stacked on top of each other and they're defecating and throwing up and dying and but they're still piled on top of each other like you see potatoes piled at the supermarket you don't want to put that image out you know that's not right 
it's not right. And that, and but I mean, that's what a lot of people of color say when it comes to this European education. You know, like okay, so I don't. This is what I'm thinking about. If they're not learning about these different things in school. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but what about if I was to one day take my future child to a, a house that looks like a plantation, just gonna say it, and they'd be like, hey mommy, what is this house? You didn't learn about this in school? That's not, like, I'm not, like, at the end of the day, parents shouldn't have to teach their children everything Parents should be there to teach the nurturing, not the academic portion. And that's something they should be learning in school. What is a plantation? What happened on these said plantations? This is the history of this country and it sucks, but they need to know. So that's where I'm at. Um, and also, if you really don't understand what critical race theory is, <laughs> nobody in K-12 is really teaching critical race theory, so we can still continue to do what we want to do. Oh! Um, I mean, I'm, I'm teaching American history at the end of the day. I'm teaching facts. So, you can't be mad that facts bring up what your great-great-granddaddy did. Exactly, because there's something different between... I was a math major. Theory and fact. Two different things. Two. Like, that's the... that's Left and right. Theoretical mathematician, which I was in undergrad, versus an applied mathematician. Two different things. Applied is fact. Theoretical is theory. You're trying to prove it to become a fact. So my ancestors weren't a theory. It actually happened. Mm -hmm. Sorry. That's how I feel about critical race theory. So I'm going to continue to teach my babies the facts. For sure. Period. For sure. At me, boo. (laughs) But you know something? And we're going to get off this topic of critical race theory because it burns my toast that Yet again, you're telling us what we can't do, but baby, can you give me some resources so I can buy some pencils? But I'm sorry, I digressed. Mm. So, Mm. you, critical race theory, um, when you look at the black community, or when you look at communities of color even, because I'm even thinking about like Hispanic communities and Latinx communities, um, and the Asian communities, they teach about their culture. Big fact. Regardless of what standard, local, federal, whatever, say. They make sure that the values and the identity they want their kids to hold on to continues. And I am, like, hella proud. When I came to Atlanta and I remember, like, those those first four weeks solidified that, like, this was going to be my place for education. And when I left education, I wasn't like, when I left that school, I was leaving education because I was around adults that looked like me. They had, you know, all spectrum. We had the ghetto folks. You had the ratchet folks. You had the folks who thought they were white, like all of them. And I'm not just diminishing them. Right. I'm not diminishing any of them, but I'm just saying we were diverse in our own right. And respected everybody too. Yes. Our kids got to see that, mm-hmm. you know, and we maybe have 10 kids who do not identify as black in the whole school. And for them to see black adults doing things and being themselves outside of the academic arena. And then the teachers kept it real. Mm hmm. Like, I wonder how much my life would be different if I had one, any one of the teachers at my school. Bro, I'm telling you. Because, well, and like that's the thing. I had black teachers. I had a few black teachers. But they were they were the assimilated black teachers where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, they taught, kept their mouth shut, kept it pushing. I didn't have the teachers that was in my face just unapologetically themselves. And that's what I love about the community in which we teach in because I can be myself. I can have that moment where some some TikTok came on and like like came in my memory in the middle of class and all of us are saying it together and laughing and we can have that, mm-hmm. ooh, let's get ratchet for a minute, let's turn on some music and then all right, let's get back to it. Mm-hmm. Like we can do that. And if somebody that is in leadership walks in then in, they're gonna be like, oh, okay, what's up? Like you're gonna listen, like to be able to listen to little baby during independent work. That part. I remember 
my Ural teacher in I didn't have any black teachers in high school. I think the last black teacher I had was in fourth grade. Mm. Um, so one or two black teachers. But anywho, this man for sure put on piano classical music every time. And it was so annoying. See, I'm that teacher. Like when the kids make me mad, I put on jazz music. And they're like, can you please? I'm like, nope. You've made me mad today. So we're going to listen to this jazz music. It may be my boo, but it's still jazz. <laughs> so, like, they still get that, like, culture, though, like, even mm-hmm. through that. But it's it might not be the music they want to listen to, but it is what it is. So. I'm for it. I'm but for I'm not putting on that. Like, I love me some Beethoven when I'm in the moment, that's but the I'm not putting we, that on. Yeah. Mm-mm. That's what we was. And no. the violins, yes. And it wasn't even, like, hippie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can't do that. Like, I can, I have, I have to be in the mood. And that's very rare. <laughs> so, it has to be some jazz that is my type of music or else I'm good. Like, I, I ran across this jazz song. We are going on a tangent. But I ran across this jazz song and it was Check Up On It by Beyonce. And I was like, this is jazz? I was okay. like, okay. <laughs> so, like, that's that's the type of music that they still get. And still get to learn from it. And that's what I like. Mm-hmm. I like being able to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, y'all. Let's get off this tangent. For sure, for sure. Oh. The next domain, gun violence. Listen. I... I'm going to start by saying it is scary to be in a school. It's very scary. And it's difficult to work in a school knowing that schools are a target. We might have to do a whole episode just on gun violence. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a few episodes, but... It can, it can. Because I don't think... I don't think any level, whether that's the local level, government, any level, has really responded to the anxiety, the whatever feelings you might have when it comes to gun violence in the school. Mm-hmm. You know... Um, stereotypically, they think because we work in an urban school, we're accustomed to it and all of that. You know, a lot of people's minds go to lean on me. Um, but it's still a fear as a teacher to know that if we had a gun on the campus, right? And it wasn't one of our students. It was somebody who walked in off the street. And like, Mm. to go on lockdown and like, my kids were silent, but they were scared. Exactly. I'm scared too, shit. I don't want that, you know? Listen. But I had to be strong for my kids, but there was no mental gathering after that. It was, okay, the lockdown is over. Now finish second period and continue with your day. It should have been the lockdown is over. Let's all go home. Like, that's what it should have been. And that's... Schools aren't given that space. They're not. And I I really want to know, in any other profession... Any other career, you have a gun incident. Are y'all going right back to work? No. The Ulta and Buckhead, they had that shooting like two weeks ago. Now they randomly closed down because they not secure in that neighborhood. And that's not the first time that they didn't have bullet holes go through Buckle the window. Buckle child. Same, same. You know, so... And I've been at the school when we've had guns actually go off. Uh. And, and we still teaching. Still teaching. And even like last year, there was a student in my homeroom. I shouldn't be saying that. Um, But he had a gun on him. And I didn't find out until a week later. So it's just like these incidences are happening. And yes, thank God, like people were there in place to like make sure everything went smooth. But it's like. You didn't come and check on me afterwards. You didn't come and check on the students. There was no nothing said to ease any of our minds and like even like thinking about it it's like I was never taught what to do in a moment where if I was to hear a student had a gun if I was to see somebody walking into school randomly with a gun like I'm not I'm not equipped to know what to do like yes I know go to the office but it's like no you need to tell me every single step and I feel like even though like gun violence in schools is like a major thing and it's like like, it's scarily, like, increasing and mm-hmm. getting worse. Um, we're still not equipping teachers with 
the knowledge to be able to know one what to do and two what to do afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel like we're trying to normalize it in schools. Oh my gosh! And it's very <laughs> scary for me to have said that. Like that, I think that's the first time I verbalized that. But I think yeah. that's scary. Is like we're trying to normalize. You know, the kids shouldn't. I don't know. I'm kind of like, try not to get sad by it. But it's like, what type of school will my kids go to that they have to know, you know, a gun safety? And like, that's going to be a normal routine, like a fire drill. Mm-hmm. And it should not be a normal. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think for my future black children, they're already going to have to worry about the issues of being black. And depending on if they are a boy or a girl, um, dealing with that portion of it too. And on top of that, because I'm sending my kids to an urban school. I am. I already mm-hmm. know myself. They're going to be in the urban school. The best one I can get them in, but still. Um, you're going to have to worry about that on top of it. Like, I'm going to have to have that talk with you about make sure you listen to your teacher. Make sure that you do A, B, C, X, Y, and Z. And I don't want to have that conversation with a five-year-old. Yeah. You know, like, I'm glad you said you're black kids, because I also think um, gun violence, they make it seem like it's a black issue. But when you look at these school shootings and these school incidences, um, when black kids are caught with a weapon, it is generally like a one to one relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, they're affiliated with someone, whatever. But they can be more, it's a singular situation. When you think about white people with guns in the school system, it's generally a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, when does that change? Because I could take a picture of a black kid and say he had a gun on campus and I'll call him all of these things. But then you take a picture of a white kid and they do a mass shooting and kill people. And he had mental health issues. Exactly. And the black, so it could be a black teenager, but they're going to up their age and say that they were a young man. (laughs) Yo, that baffles me. 15 and 16 year old black men are considered young men. Exactly. But a 15 and 16 year old white boy is considered. 17, 18 year old. Don't just say 15, 16. It's true. They're considered teenagers. And it's, it's kind of, no, even I remember this one situation where it was a young girl and she was 19, and she was considered a teenager. And I'm like, that girl's in college. She's mm-hmm. a young woman. But that's what they will do. She was white. That's what they'll do. As long as they have that teen behind them, they're going to consider white white kids as a teen. But it doesn't matter for black kids. As soon as you turn even 13, they're saying young man, young woman. And it's kind of crazy to me. Like, it's the imaging and the portrayal of the black body in media it's always going to have a negative connotation. And when is that negative connotation going to switch? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's so draining to even think about. Like, I don't know. But. We got to do something about it though. Because gun violence is the number one cause of death for kids. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that, you know, I'm putting the onus on leadership at this point. To do something more intentional. With their planning. I'm with that you. part. Um, okay, y'all. Your favorite present day issues of black education are these hmm. buzzwords. Listen, y'all, I'm going <laughs> to just run down the list of buzzwords, a few that trigger me. And then we'll just get into it. Self-care. Data-driven. The whole child, mastery, (laughs) rigor, here's the kicker, achievement gap, objective, standard, equity, inclusion or inclusive, Mm -hmm. differentiation, SEL, which stands for social emotional learning, and then a new favorite, synchronous versus asynchronous learning. Hmm. Y'all, these words are trigger words to any teacher in present day. Like, if you were to 
if I come into any professional development and you're saying any of these words, I'm cringing and I want to walk out. Like, I have to sit there for the next hour, hour and a half and listen to you tell me about how I need to take care of my mental health and self-care when you don't even care about it. The fact that my, like, my job is leaning on my data-driven classroom. Like, these kids are not a number. They're people. I just don't understand. Complete! Like, and you want me to, ch- you want me to close this achievement gap? But how can I close this achievement gap if there's nothing that's really set in place for me to help close it? You want me to be superwoman and figure it out all by myself. And you got to figure it out every year because this is a different group of kids every year. Listen, with different sets of accommodations and skills that need to be taught. Like, yeah. And then this new one, synchronous versus asynchronous. When I tell you... When I first, like, when this buzzword first happened, I was like, okay, yeah, like, you know, I think I like this. And now, Mm-mm. I'm like, if you tell me to do something asynchronously or synchronously one more time, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to go crazy. I feel like these buzzwords exist so that white people can feel like they're doing something. Okay, continue, continue. So, I, I think, like... For the most part. Because I think, I say that because, you know, when the idea of the whole child comes about, then they're going to be like, oh, we're going to give you resources for this, or you need to support this. We're working on this. And it's one of their programs that they want us to implement. Facts. It's never something that they come to us and like, oh, we see you're interested in helping them develop, you know, career skills. Let us support. Or they need help developing, you know, whatever. It's never Mm -hmm. that. And it's always we've diagnosed this quote-unquote problem. We've diagnosed this achievement gap. Now, what are you going to do about it? And it's like, I'm going to do the same shit I was doing. Because... These gaps don't exist because of what we're doing inside the classroom. These gaps exist because you have not given these communities the things they need. The tools and resources, which we've been asking for since the land before time. Like, it's it's ridiculous that these, bu- these buzzwords even exist to make teachers cringe because you're right. It is the white man looking down... From the top of his hill, like, hmm, what can I fuck up in these teachers' lives today? <laughs> Basically, is what he's saying, what he's doing, because it's like, let me give him, let me give them another word or another phrase that's gonna piss them right. off. Right, and then this all our new PDs, every PD got to have the word equity in it. We're being equitable. Mm-hmm. This is providing equity. This is supporting our most marginalized students, and it's like equity, bump it. Let's just be fair and let's just be responsive to what kids are telling us. It's to be, so it's this idea of being politically correct. Like, I don't know how many times I've been in the office and been talking about how I'm not being equitable to my students. 50%, no, not even 50, 90% of the class would not stop talking when I said be quiet. And I said it multiple times. We need to get back to work. So we're all going to stop. And we're all going to write this letter on why we need to do better in class. But I'm not equitable. I should have made only the students who were talking. That's bullshit. Out of 20 kids, if, what, 15 of are talking, the other five are going to have to write the letter too. It's like, it's not fair, but it's fair at the same time. Not everybody gets a trophy. Correct. But nah, these kids do. All of these kids get Mm. trophies and certificates and awards for improvement. They get all of them. They do. And then they get participation gifts too. Like, I don't, I, no, no. You know too, this isn't on the list, but it's coming. I think sexualization is going to be a new buzzword. Oh, you are right. Like, it's coming. We, we posted about this on our, like, story a few, like, it's been a minute, but it's on there, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Um, but they're talking about how urban schools 
need to focus on the achievement gap and not the sexualization of kids. And I found it very interesting because it was talking about COVID and how we had all this quote unquote learning loss. And oh, that's another buzzword. Yeah. And and hint my quote unquote. Um and how since then like they've just been inundated with all of these sexualized images and principles. Um and so we as teachers need to stop take a step back and actually teach academic content. Mm -hmm. And I agree to a certain extent, but I'm not sexualizing the students. They parents are. Exactly. All of my kids. Oh, this is going to be one of our topics coming up. But I found this picture on Instagram. A teacher made all of her students turn their phones on and have the like sound up. And she made this anchor chart in her room. And it was one period. Um, and it was elementary age kids. Mm-hmm. She had them put a check mark every time they got a notification. It had things like Instagram, email, phone call, group me. I saw that. Over 600 notifications. I saw that. And I was like, I don't even get that much. Like, my phone is dry. <laughs> Like, they're a desert in comparison to that. Like, and I'm sure it was only, like, 20 kids in the room. Oh, 25. Easily. Yes. So, hold on. I'm sorry. I got to do the math. <laughs> so, you said 700. I'm going to divide that by 25. That means that each child was getting, on average, 28 notifications per class. Y'all, that ain't nothing but Ollie in the background. Ignore him. Um, Yeah. They was getting about 30 different notifications. So, that is crazy. But but I said that, I shared that because it's a need for parents to step in and say what, you know, kids need to put this down. Exactly. You know, I can't control what they watch on TV. And when I try to take phones, you know, parents get upset. Well, what if I need to get... Your kid does not need to be looking on YouTube in the middle of learning what full-time bow is for the 40th time. You know where your child is at. You drop them off and you pick them up. You can see that your child is there every single day and every single period because we're sending information letting you know that they're present in the class. Mm -hmm. You know where they are. And if you really need Mm -hmm. to get in contact with them, call the front office. The front office will let me know that they need to come upstairs Mm -hmm. and you need to talk to them. Why do you need to call your child every day? Or you could text me. You have my number. You have my number. You have my groupie message. You have my extension to my classroom phone. We also have a classroom phone so that in if your child really need if you need to get in contact with your child, they can use that phone. Like and but but I'm the issue. I'm the problem. But your child is on face not Facebook, sorry, Instagram and TikTok in the middle of class. Not to mention when these students had these computers. Oh, that was another issue, too. I didn't know how to use. (laughs) Listen, I didn't know how to use, but I knew how to get on uh, YouTube and watch videos. I knew how to record class so that I can listen back to it later so I won't have to listen now. These are the issues. Technology is really a struggle. It really is. Now, I'm going to tell you another issue. These standardized tests. That's. That. We talked about standardized testing, I think, in, like, one of our first episodes. Um... But you know, it it came from a place of whites trying to say you deserve resources. Now we're still trying to prove our worthiness. I mean, okay, so here's what I'm, I'm just going to give the benefit of the doubt. Standardized testing came about because they, people, my favorite word, people wanted to create a um, standard base for everyone to, um, to for, for us to be able to see where the entire country is. I get it, but if you're not giving all of the resources to every single school in the entire country to be able to effectively learn the material that they need to learn, 
you can't standardize everybody. So that's the problem with standardized testing right there. And also it's because the tests are built on white systems. It's not built on every culture. I don't see anything in there about Indian culture, Native American culture, Asian, black culture, Hispanic culture. There's so many different cultures out here and you're not, you know, portraying those in the tests as well. Like, mm-hmm. I remember seeing this one question. I still don't even know what it was about. Like, in me as a teacher trying to help another student, I was doing, like, some sort of tutoring service. Me as a teacher trying to help another student answer this question, and I couldn't even answer it. I had to do research on it. Mind you, it was like a fifth grade question, and I had no idea what was going on because mm-hmm. I, it wasn't culturally relevant to me. Mm-hmm. It was talking about some object, and I'm like, I don't even know what this object is. Mm-hmm. So... It's just this, this, the tests are built on this Eurocentric ideals, and it, that's what makes it a struggle. If you were just to reword this question so that I could understand it, I bet you I could answer it. You know, you were talking about um, this, like, standardized testing is being, being the same across, but when you go to more affluent neighborhoods, them kids are taking test prep courses. And so it's like, how can a standardized test be like this this baseline when you have kids that have to do extra work to meet the baseline? Exactly. And so our kids, you know, lucky they're in a charter network, so they have like additional support. To get access to that. But if I was in a traditional public school, that now falls on me. Facts. I remember being in high school <laughs> and having my mom like buying the SAT book for me. Because that's mm-hmm. all she could do. She couldn't put me in the Pearson's test prep class. Like because that's... It th- those are like $200 a class. Like, okay, so for me, the only reason why I was able to get into a test prep class, mind you, which happened every other week for two months. So I only got four classes. And you were in there with other people. That part too. The only reason why I was able to get into it is because <laughs> my family knows how to swindle. I had free and reduced lunch. Mm-hmm. And they were only offering it to people who had free and reduced lunch. And they were only taking a certain number. So I looked up and saw it and was like, yo, let me grab this flyer real quick. Let me sign up so I can do it. And it was only for an hour. Like you're, you're giving the resources, quote unquote, but is it really effective? You're not getting everybody, for one. For two, it's limited. It's only an hour every other week for two months. I, you're making me think about, I worked at uh, this place called Sylvan Learning Center. It's a tutoring center um, when I was in Detroit. And um, I worked with the test prep team. And we had test prep every Saturday mm-hmm. from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. It was cut at six kids. And it was one teacher. And you had to sign up for eight weeks. And so, like, to hear your story, and it's like, you know, four times, and it's a group, and it's only an hour, to now eight times. Yeah, it's still a group. But it was like the teacher was in the middle. You know how you have them elementary mm-hmm. tables? Yeah. And they're all around. And that's how it was. And it was a study session. And, like, I don't have the means, <laughs> but... I definitely think that's something that, one, our kids would benefit from, but they would also benefit if this testing system was not so stringent. Mm-hmm. Like, there are ways to determine your elite without making your middle feel inadequate. Portfolios. And I feel like standardized testing is a time for your elite test takers and academic like content people to show but like I'm a regular folk when it comes to testing. Listen. I'm in the middle range <clears throat> and it's disheartening to know like I work hard, I study, I could communicate everything that this test covers, but this test says I only know 80%. Exactly. And that's like how it like really irritates me like because I'm also one of those average test takers. And it's like having to know that I'm an average test taker, but I bet you I can outdo anybody in that test if it was 
uh, verbal or if it was something like kinesthetic. I'm very good at showing that I know what to do with my hands, building something, creating a project, a presentation, something. I can do that and I can rock it. I can even do portfolios. My portfolio for um, grad school, amazing. I'm capable of doing that. But when you sit me down in front of a computer, because now they're computer based, that's mm-hmm. also another issue, but we'll, we don't even <laughs> have to get into that. I struggle with doing it because it's formulaic. Even though I'm a mathematician, something about having to take this white man test freaks me out every time. Yeah. So, in coming into the even the idea of having to deal with those stressors that's affecting people's mental health, that's affecting people's careers. Thinking about these scandals in Atlanta. Yes. Like that was a that was I feel like I feel for those teachers. Not even gonna happen. It happened it happened when I was in Detroit too, actually. Yeah. Um, I wanna say like the year I came, they had the scandal the year before. Mm-mm. No, it was a couple of years before, but we were teaching the babies that were affected by the scandal. That's what No, it was. I'm saying that's Atlanta. I'm saying when I was in teaching in Detroit. Oh, Detroit had okay. a scandal too. Okay. So much so when I had my orientation, there was this woman there. I don't remember her name. I don't remember her title, but she was in some sort of leadership in Detroit public schools. She was talking about dinosaurs and how we don't know dinosaurs are here, but we or we don't know what dinosaurs 100% were and looked like, but we know they were here. Like mm-hmm. there, there's some evidence of them. And she was asking what's going to be the evidence of us. Anywho, six months into my damn first year of teaching, Homie got arrested for falsifying standardized tests. Mm. And it's like, I still hold on to her words. But what put her at the point, and I think about the people in Atlanta too, what put them at the point where they felt like they needed to change student answers? To get, and so, (sighs) I'm going to have a vulnerable moment. Um, the year that I transitioned from working at the high school to the middle school was because of my test scores and my test scores weren't where they needed to be. But the class that I was teaching was the last class of the kids who were affected by the teacher, the, 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 uh, the scandal, the test taking scandal. Mm-hmm. So and you could see, like, you could visibly see the difference between students who were coming after. Their test-taking their test taking strategies and skills and what they knew was completely different in comparison to the babies that were being taught that year. And for someone who test scores were always a lot better than that year, it was so frustrating to have my scores being looked at and reflecting upon how effective I am as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And would I ever change test scores? No. But going through that, I can see why they did it. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you're basically telling me that I'm inadequate and I'm not capable of doing my job and I don't have the content knowledge or anything like that. But I do. I'm just in the middle of a situation where these students are so far behind. Like, you need a calculator to tell me what eight plus zero is. No joke, that really happens. You're so far behind that how can I even catch you up to this 11th grade material? Yeah. And you have the ACTs that you have to take at the end of this year. Yeah. I'm not superwoman. And what? It was, I had five classes at that time and each class had about 30 kids in it. Do the math. There's no way I'm be able to do that for every student. So, I can see it. I get it. Would I do it? No. I'm not going to jail. (laughs) Too too pretty for jail. Um, But, I can see how and why they did it. I just wish they didn't do it, though. But still. You know, it makes me think about, like, the next thing we have to talk about, too. And I don't know if we want to move on or talk about them at the same time. But... Legally, things have to change, Mm -hmm. right? Like, educators' performance is based off the students' performance. 
Leadership performance is not based off of educator performance, though. Big facts. I saw that on social media. I saw Yo, that. Yo, and, like, when I said that, I said that's real, though. Like, a principal's effectiveness has nothing to do with my effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand how you hold me responsible for kids, but you don't hold yourself responsible for me. Exactly. And if I am trying, at the end of the day, you know, it's not like you were half-assing at supporting these kids. You know, you were tutoring. You gave kids your information to reach out for support. Mm-hmm. I can take a horse to water, but I can't make a horse drink water. Facts. And that is my viewpoint on education. I could teach and support these kids. I could facilitate all of that. But I can't force a kid to perform on an exam. Mm-hmm. I think about, like, when my standardized, we, we give out milestones in ninth, well, at the high school. Well, in Georgia, we give out milestones. And to hear my kids come back and talk about, oh, I fell asleep after the first section. And, and we're not allowed to be in the room while they're taking our exam, right? It was so, like, it was like, why? And they were like, you know, that was just a long test. I don't feel like it. And it's like, we know, one, we know kids are more active in the evening and after, you know, Mm -hmm. not the morning time. So why do we schedule things for the morning? Two, it's a three to four hour test. Exactly. Like, what are you really trying to see? And we know these kids do not eat breakfast. Half of them are coming in angry because something happened at home. Give them time to cool off. Mom then took away the phone. They're mad. Unless you go... No, I don't necessarily know what, what career, whatever, you're going to have to do where you're isolated and without access to resources. That part. You know. Because if I was isolated and not access to any of these resources on Google as a teacher, I wouldn't need one. I'm just being honest. I'm not creating all of this material for these kids in a school year. Hell no. Listen. But, yeah, legally, things have to shift because I think the expectation of, you know, diverse communities performing the same and behaving the same is ignorance. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, this is my my, my goal is that I want to go up into, like, policy and stuff, but... Educators have to, I know we have a teacher shortage, but even retired educators, they have to start giving their voice Mm -hmm. to like these different communities that are making decisions. Exactly. And like, not even to like, it's like on the same topic, but it's also going back to what we were talking about with standardized testing. Um, But this is something that like legally needs to change too. Like, if I had to choose between standardized testing and no child left behind, I'm going to choose no child left behind. The child need to be left behind. If they do not have the skills to be able to move on to the next grade, we should not be promoting them to the next grade because now that teacher is having to teach everything. If, if Billy's in eighth grade, the teacher now has to teach everything from seventh grade from kindergarten to seventh grade and eighth grade material. That's not fair. Mm-hmm. Because this um, child has been socially promoted every single year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, if that child's being socially promoted every year, they are struggling on these standardized tests because they don't know how to effectively take them because they don't know the material. And then now what's happening? They're acting out. I take it back to my favorite manager. We won't say who it was. But my favorite manager, one thing they impressed upon me all the time was figure out what are the requirements and follow it. One of my favorite, because my other favorite was in Detroit. Um, And I have lived by that. And I feel like what you were just talking about with the no child left behind, like why is that not in place? If you have a plan and you say that you need to pass these classes in order to go to this grade, mm-hmm. if that is not met, Guess what, boo-boo? You didn't meet the requirements. That part. Why do we have conversations about accommodations of expectations? Expectations and rules exist for a reason. They need to be followed at all. That part. And I think once we as a, and, and this isn't just education, but societal, 
If we start following the rules that we want to agree upon, things would be much better. Mm-hmm. But nobody want to follow nothing because people want to be like, oh, you can't tell me what to do. I'm grown. Mm. <laughs> because so let's be clear one of those rules is i think it's like legally a classroom cannot have more than 20 kids in it mm. that's a legal rule is it being followed no if you've missed more than 10 days i as the teacher can give you an f is that being followed no the system is choosing picking and choosing what rules they want to follow and what rules they don't want to follow and it's mainly to appease the, the parents it is. It is. Not even to help us. Oh, I got triggered when you said that. <laughs> Sorry. No, I know. I get it. I, you know, and I think there have been some, like, creative responses to responding to the legal issue between educating urban black kids and others. Um, and I think, like, that's with the creation of different school types. Mm-hmm. Um, charter schools, I, they started coming about when we were in school. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily as big as they are now. Yeah. Um, and, like, our parents' age, they weren't around at all. So we have been privy to, like, grow through this spectrum of growth in school types. And I think it's it has its pros and cons. And it's, it's a yin and yang for me again. I think... The underlying idea of it is good. And I can get into a lot of their missions mm-hmm. and their visions. Now, turning that into practice, they, they suck at. I think charter schools in general, like, and I have worked at several charter schools and several different networks in different capacities. I think that they all fell at really doing that Mm -hmm. because I don't think they respect the the depth of the actual issue exactly you know like respect acknowledge understand depending on the person they feel like they know they do they're on their high horse and they think that they got it and like you said it's the white man on the top of the hill looking down listen (laughs) they up there on their high horse and they think they got it but yet you go on social media I'm not saying any names, but some of these charter schools have some website, no, some um, some platforms where people saying stuff. Listen, don't believe me? Go find out for yourself. It's like what something uncovered or unspoken. Whatever, insert charter school name, unseen, unspoken, whatever it is, and you can see all the stuff that's happening and what they're not doing right, but they swear they're doing right. Chuh. and it's crazy. Yeah, I. Me, I think that like black education right now has to, has not fully responded to the identity of blacks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I say that like with a wide umbrella because the identity of black is like really diverse and like I had to learn what blackness was when I came to Atlanta. I had to learn what blackness was when I moved to Detroit. I had to learn blackness in D.C., you know, and my blackness in Cali. Like, being black is different by state. It's different by city. It's different by region. Because them Jones and McDonough, they a completely different breed than them Jones and West End. (laughs) Listen, like, and even, like, for me, like, I just came back from New York City. Like, who I am up there, my, my blackness is different from who I am down here. And I, that's, that's me code switching with even in my black culture, black community. And uh-huh. it's, kind, it's, it's interesting, it's kind of weird, and it's always eye-opening whenever I go visit up there. Like, it's like, wow, it's different up here. Mm-hmm. And there's different types of freedoms that happen up there versus down here, and there's different types of restrictions that happen mm-hmm. up there versus down here. And it's like, what we have to go through as black people in these different areas still they still inevitably affect us and it's usually happening in schools because that's where the majority of your childhood is spent in a school so you know it's a lot of different things um that are still going on present day and we haven't nearly scratched the surface with all of the different things um but 
this season is over. We'll be recording our last episode for the Being Black in an American Education System. Um, and we want to know what have you learned from this season? What has pushed you? What has challenged you? You know, what has it made you think? Like, what has this season given you? What is the one question that you're still thinking about? Mm-hmm. It could be from episode one. Mm-hmm. But we are not answering this question. Um, the question will be answered next um, next podcast, next session. So be on the tune for that, for our answers. But in the meantime, you know, let us know what you think. Go to our social media pages. You can find us um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Root of the Matter, EDU, R-O-T-M-E-D-U. And we would love to see y'all over there. Um, Yeah, so this is the ending of our episode, y'all. We love y'all. Be sure to be on the lookout for the amazing things we have coming. I know I keep saying that, but trust me, they are on the way. Black people and hate, put your fist up high. You a king, you a queen, so you a great by design. Me. Black uh, people hate, put your fist up y'all. high. You'll achieve Love anything y'all. if you use your mind. I'm proud to be black. And that's a big fact. I'm proud to be black. And that's a big fact. I'm proud to be black. And that's a big fact. I'm proud to be black. And that's a big fact.